Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, and Tony G. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 80 of Retro Hangover. Hello, retro and classic gamers. Welcome to the podcast where you are hanging Hufflepuffs with halos for hookers hugging hitmen. This is episode 80 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Copeland, with special guest, Patrick Hickey Jr. And, as always, your host, Shane Master Dick Dragon You know, I appreciate the fact that there is no sense or like semblance of, you know, connectivity between any of the alliteration that that goes into our intros. You don't know that. I feel like I do know that. But then again, you might just be on a completely different level from me. Is that what it is? Don't you ask questions about what do what I do at my hookers, man? That's my business. Well, you know what? That's that's fair. Man's business is his own. Taking care of them bottom bitches, yo. So welcome, everybody. This is the Halo episode, and we have an awesome guest on here today. It's Patrick Hickey we Jr. Dear. So go ahead and say hi, man. What's going on? How you doing? Doing good. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so could I also ask that you just remain as Duke Nukem for the entirety of the episode? I mean, I, I could, but then I'd have to buy like a bag of holes, mentholiptus or whatever. For tomorrow, <laughs> so, some Ricola. I could totally do it, but yeah. Okay. But yeah, happy to Fine. be here, guys. Uh, looking forward to talking some Halo. Absolutely. So this is where we get into the what have we been doing lately and what games have we been playing. But you probably have no idea who Patrick Hickey Jr. is, and if you, you do, should. You're, you should. You should. Well, you should. I don't know. That's a terrible thing for me to say because they should know because yeah, you've done a lot of awesome stuff. So in case they don't know, is what I should have said. How about you go ahead and explain to the people what you what you do, what you're up to, what you got. So my name is Patrick Hickey Jr. And I am the author of the Minds Behind the Games book series. Basically what I do is I find the developers of your favorite or sometimes not so favorite video games. And I tell the story of the development cycle. I do that by finding the programmers, the producers, the developers, the designers, the artists, the testers, and I get them to tell the behind-the-scenes story of how the game was developed. Um, I'm currently, uh, my fourth book, The Minds Behind the Shooter Games, is scheduled for a February 2021 release. Currently, there is The Minds Behind the Games, The Minds Behind Adventure Games, and The Minds Behind the Sports Games currently available. Um, and the minds behind Sega Genesis games and the minds behind the Sony PlayStation games are forthcoming in the series. And I am currently secretly working on book seven in the series. So I do that. Um, and I'm also a voice actor and a writer in the video game industry. Um, I've written the story for an upcoming, uh, 
retro shooter called Kroom, K-R-O-O-M, and uh, the animator on that game is Pete Paquette, and he was the lead animator on Bioshock Infinite, so that's a project. Um, I wrote oh, the story nice. for the game. Totally looking awesome. forward to that. And I am the voice of Padre Alexander in the Shotgun with Glitters series the portrait. I play a um, Catholic priest with a certain surly attitude that just walks around dark mansions shooting people. <laughs> so that's basically uh, <laughs> what I do in a nutshell. That's really that awesome, excellent. Man. Quite, quite the renaissance, man. I try. I'm also married. <laughs> two kids. That's college awesome. professor. So, yeah. Busy. College professor, really? What's if you don't mind me asking? What's what's the topic? I've been a college prof- professor for fifteen years. Um, I'm the assistant director of the journalism program at Kingsborough Community College. Um, before that, I was an editor at NBC. I've covered presidential elections, Olympics, uh, Summer Slams, WrestleManias. I mean, I've I've done a lot of crazy stuff over the last you know fifteen twenty years. Most excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as Chris said, we are uh, very happy to have you on Thank the show. You. you you are of a caliber and a, an array of talents that we have yet to have here. So you are a welcomed addition to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. What what he said, I, I can't talk as eloquently. So I'll just, I can't talk. Yeah, that's why I'm reading the history. God damn it. I know. Nice. <laughs> Uh, so at any rate, as Chris mentioned, uh, we tend to talk about, you know, kind of what we've been up to lately. So Chris, I'm going to toss it to you first. We'll, 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 we'll get ours out of the way. Cause you know, I, I want to know what you've been up to lately first. So yeah, I've been playing the game for this week. I've been playing Halo and wow. I know, right. That's shocking. Thrilling. Shocking. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I've also been playing trials of mana. I really do enjoy it. I think it's a really good remake. I actually, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I'm going to be doing a uh, an episode for Retro Hangover Gaiden with, uh, right now it's slated to be with uh, Backlog Adam of the Good, the Bad and the Backlog podcast. He's a person who's in our Discord quite frequently and he's been playing it. So I'm looking forward to, be, to do that episode because I'm having a really good time. So I'm looking forward to do that episode. I know it's another Squaresoft game. Shocker. I like Square games. Wow. I know, yeah, right? Crazy. It's mm-hmm. yeah, RPGs, action RPGs, hooray! And the other game I played was Castlevania: The Adventure for the Game Boy. And <laughs> oh, I heard that one was really good. Is it really good, Chris? Did you did you like your time with that? Here's here's what I need to say. I think it was in the okay, Game Boy episode on. where we had Seamus uh-huh. on, and we got to the topic of Castlevania: The Adventure or the Castlevania Adventure, yeah. or whatever the hell it's called. And I said mm-hmm. it's not that bad, and he got all mad at me. He was right. <laughs> he was right. You don't say. It's a terrible game. Huh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 there may be a chance that I will be joining you on that RH Gaiden if I uh, get around to playing it. Because what I'm hearing is that my $4 and some odd cents investment into Trials of Fauna for my Switch was, was a worthy one. So I guess I should probably get on it's that. It's a very worthy one. You're going to have a good time. Just put it on hard off the bat that's what she said yeah damn right i i don't think i will but thank you for the suggestion just don't put it on soft uh-huh. mm-hmm. as, as patrick said that's that is what she said you need to put on hard you're not gonna have a good time no one has fun with soft not with that attitude <laughs> okay so other than <laughs> other other than playing video games it's just been <laughs> i don't like christmas and new year's happened i guess that's been a thing 
And that was um, that that this, is a thing. Uh, yeah, we haven't even mentioned this is the first episode of 2021. So happy 2021, everybody. And somehow I managed to yeah. go through 2020 so far without getting COVID. So hooray me. That's an accomplishment. I haven't gotten COVID yet. Especially where we're located. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. OK, Shane, over to you before we get to Patrick and he can close out the what we've been playing. What have you been up to, man? Well, outside of uh, going back and playing Halo. Uh, I finally wrapped up my perhaps unnecessarily extended playthrough of Parasite Eve after having played through the the story of it for the episode that we did on it. I decided I liked it enough that I was going to do the EX round, and I hadn't quite finished it by the time we recorded the episode, but I was determined to get through the whole thing, and not only that, but complete the entirety of the Chrysler building, which I did, and I have to say, I don't recommend it. I I don't think it was worth the amount of time that I put into it. I think cumulatively, I have about 45 hours into that game. Um, A game, by the way, if you recall, takes maybe 10 to 12 to actually finish, so... Didn't but I we, guess it's an accomplishment, so I've got that. Didn't we tell you not to do that? <laughs> you know, you say a lot of things that I hear sometimes. I don't know, man. Listen, <laughs> like I said, I liked it enough that I wanted to keep playing it, but it, it actually did get to a point where I'm going to say somewhere around level, let's go with 40-ish out of the 70 in the Chrysler building, where it was less of... I'm really enjoying this and I'd like to continue and more of a, well, I'm this far. I might as well just fucking finish it. So, Mm. um, but it's done. It's done. And for the record that, that last actual final boss was a bitch. Um, it's, it was difficult even with like completely tricked out weapons and armor. It still sucked. Um, which ostensibly might be the only real challenging thing in that whole game. But uh, yeah, man, that's that's been most of my time was just trying to knock that thing out. Anything going on in the real world you care to let anyone know about or just kind of business as usual? Man, it ain't shit. Cool. I'm just here in the house doing my thing. You know, the usual staying, staying away from people as much as I can, which, you know, arguably wasn't entirely different from (laughs) pre pre covid. But yes. So nothing's changed. Awesome. All right, Patrick, Patrick, what have you been up to, man? Any games you want to talk about? Anything you got going on? Uh, man, last week, like to close out the year, was just awful. Um, I, I finished editing the Minds Behind the Sega Genesis games and the Minds Behind the Sony PlayStation games. So it's basically, I, I read about 625 pages in about five days. <sighs> man, I was freaking fried. But, I mean, reading over, like, the Final Fantasy VII chapter and, like, the Altered Beast chapter and just being, like, I interviewed the people that, like, played a part in these games. Like, the guy that I interviewed for the Final Fantasy VII chapter was the first person to see Aeris die in in America, you know? So, it was just, like, him telling that story, like, just made it all worth it. My eyes were, like, so bloodshot. I was so tired. And I was just reading through the chapter and I'm just like, all right, this is worth it. So... That was pretty much like my week. Nice. Very industrious. So I got a question for you actually about that. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. just on a, on a high level, how, how are the responses that you usually get from, you know, these folks that you reach out to for these various books? Like, is it mostly positive or have you gotten ones that just like 
tell you to fuck off or like they just don't answer? Like, how does that go? It's funny because um, I'm pretty sure we have a mutual friend, um, Cade from uh, Gamer Gaming Memories uh, yeah. podcast. Yep, yep, yep. I love, I love Cade. I've been on his show. He's in my group on Instagram, the uh, the Retro Game Mafia. And um, after I did the podcast with Cade, he was like, you know what? I'm gonna start getting developers to come on my podcast. And I was like, good luck. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's it's hard. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I spend probably like two hours a day writing pitches to people. Like when I'm in pitch mode in the beginning of a project and I could do that for like a month. And I'm like, sometimes it takes longer to pitch people than it does to write the chapter because once I've played the game enough and interviewed the person, writing the chapter is the easiest part because I know what I want to say. I know how I want to say it. So um, figure it this way. The last book... The minds behind the uh, PlayStation games, the one that I just finished, I have 40 games. So I've spoke, I spoke mm-hmm. to like 60 developers. I probably pitched around 400. Damn. So most of them don't even answer. Um, the ones that do answer, I would say like 98% of them are amazing. And then you have a very small group that are like, oh, I can't talk or I'm writing a book myself, so I don't want to give you anything that da 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 But I mean... Mm. I have never run into anyone that I was just like, wow, what a dick, you know, like <laughs> not, not one person. I ran into one person that was kind of like, um, they worked on Tomb Raider, uh, legend on PS2. And I always think that game is pretty interesting and I always play it and I'm like, there's got it. There, this had to have a, an interesting development cycle. And, um, mm. yeah, he was basically like the video game industry brought me nothing but heartache. I don't want to talk to you. Damn. And I was like, oh, I mean, Oh, that's, I that's guess a, that's fair though. But that would have been a great story. I'm like, you know, oh, like, absolutely. I, want to, sure. I want to hear it, you know? So that's like, that's the only thing that I've ever, no, I've never gotten any like fuck yous or anything. Cause you know what the thing is too? I'm super transparent. When I pitch people, I'm like, listen, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And after I write the chapter, I'm going to send it to you. And I want you to understand that you have control over your quotes to an extent. I have everything that you've mm-hmm. said to me. I want to get it right. I don't want a developer coming back to me like a month after the book comes out and go, eh, you know, I really didn't mean to say it like that. So I want them to understand that they have right. a ton of creative control. They don't obviously like I'm the one calling the shots, but I want them to feel like I can, I'm going to tell their story the way it deserves to be told. So when I when I get an opportunity to really talk to them and explain that to them, then they're like, yeah, let's do this. I'll give you an example. I mean, you mentioned Parasite Eve. Um, mm-hmm. I spoke to the um, the event designer in Parasite Eve, the guy that basically wrote like the entire story for Parasite Eve. Oh, okay. Um, Charles yeah. Panetti, and um, he's from Hawaii. Um, he's not a native Japanese speaker. He taught himself Japanese by playing Japanese games on the Turbo Graphics 16. Nice. And, huh. Yeah. Um, he's got an amazing story. He's incredibly intelligent. And um, one of his friends was just like, you know, you should. You should really like go to Square because you just you play all these games all day. You taught yourself Japanese. You understand the gameplay mechanics and stuff. And he did. He got a job and he worked on Final Fantasy IX too. I mean, just super talented guy. But it's just like those are the stories that more people need to know about. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And also, that the answer gives me a little bit more. I guess faith in the in the human component of the mm-hmm. industry because otherwise, I think the video game industry as a whole is largely a, a giant dumpster fire at least at least the triple a sector i don't know it's it's been kind of a nightmare it's a lot easier to get in contact with people that made games 15 20 25 30 years ago um 
mm-hmm. I will say, um, in the Minds Behind the Shooter games, the book that's coming out, like, you know, in a month, um, I have Call of Duty Modern Warfare in there, the new one. And that was probably like one of the most difficult chapters to get because there was just so much bureaucracy between oh, yeah. the publicists. And it ended up like I just reached out to the developer and was like, listen, do we have to keep going through this PR person? Like, can we just do this like ourselves? You know, I'll send you the mm-hmm. release. Like, well, cause she would just take days to answer and she was great, but it was just like insane. And that was Activision. But then at the same note, like Sega is amazing to work with. And they answer right away. It's just, it's so, it's so weird. It's just so much easier when someone made a game like 10, 15 years ago and you can just get a quick line straight to them, like through Facebook or LinkedIn, and you can just bullshit with them and talk to them like a person and have them tell you a story. Well, I think everyone's heard how much work this man puts into his book. So please find his books. You know the name of it. Go and buy some of them because man, that's a lot of effort. That is a lot of effort. It's super easy. You just find me on Instagram, Patrick Hickey Jr. Message me, start a conversation with me, start bullshitting with me. I'll send you the link. The link's directly in my bio, patrickhickeyjr.com. And there you go. And the cool part is when you order a book directly from me, I put cool shit in your book. So it's like you guys are from Florida. So I'd probably find some Florida Panthers cards or Miami Dolphins football cards that are probably older than you. And, and throw them in there and stuff like that. So I really try and try my hardest. To, and you, or one of you guys is a wrestling fan, so I throw like a WWF like sticker or something like that from like an 80s pack that I found in like an antique store in your book. You know, like something cool like that and just to have a relationship with you. That's awesome. Also, do you take personal requests if the person doesn't give a shit about being in Florida? Sure. Asking for a friend. Sure, sure. And well, see, that's the thing, okay, too. Great. Speaking of personal requests, I mean, there are so many games that are in my books because people messaged me on Instagram and Facebook and were like, why don't you get this game in a book? So it's like I remember when I was making the list for the Minds Behind the PlayStation games, I forgot what game I, I confirmed, but it was like it was a, it was Crash Bandicoot. There you go. So I'm like, Crash Bandicoot's in. I spoke to the producer. Boom. So I'm like, I'm super happy. And one of my mm. closest friends goes on Facebook. He goes, yeah, but you didn't get Final Fantasy VII. And I was just like, you're a <laughs> dick. This is why nobody <laughs> likes you. This is why you have no friends. And then I made it like my my goal over like the next week and a half to get somebody from the Final Fantasy VII team. And I was just like, boom, bitch. Look, I got Final Fantasy VII. And he's like, well, what about, you know, uh, and I'm like, don't even finish that sentence. No, no. no. So, so if there's um, be satisfied. if there's a game that you want to know more about, message me and i will do whatever i have to do to try and fit it into the next book or fit it into an article for old school gamer magazine or for reviewfix.com or something like that that's i'm an academic i've been teaching for 15 years so um most academics write for promotion none of their stuff ever gets read but Mm -hmm. i'm not like that like i'm i've been a journalist for 15 years too so like whatever i write i want to sell it and i want it to be read so if there's one person out there that wants to hear about, you know, the development story of Bubsy 3D, I'm going to find like the developers and I'm going to I'm going to get them to tell me the story. I would love to hear that. I actually I actually know it, so like maybe next time we'll we'll talk nice. about that. So Wow. Yeah. Should I'll be just, that I'll this just, week, uh, Shane. I'll just tell you that without Bubsy 3D there would be no siphon filter. So that's all I'm going to say. Wow. Damn. So yeah. All right. Well, I guess on that note, yeah, I suppose we should talk about another game that uh, hopefully some people want to hear about. And if they don't, it's too damn bad because we're going to talk about it anyway. Mm -hmm. It's Halo. uh, Am I? 
I was say, so Chris, am I introducing myself? No, or I was I was getting to it. Jeez. Halo. There Actually, it is. no, I'll, I'll let's have Patrick do it. <laughs> From Bungie, Master Chief in Halo, starring Dom DeLuise as Master Chief. I don't think that's accurate, like but that would be awesome. In any case, thank you for the yeah. thank you for the introduction there, Patrick, because now we're going to go to the brief history of Halo with Shane. biggest tech companies in the world, it's generally a bad look if you announce a major console release only to have it wind up being a dud. To secure the best chances for success, you'd need powerful hardware, a spectacular marketing campaign, and most importantly, a game so good that consumers and critics alike consider it a killer app. This was the precarious position Microsoft found itself in for its nascent Xbox in 2001. They had little trouble with the hardware and the marketing, but the all-important third pillar of this trifecta was still eluding them. After all, Microsoft Flight Simulator was not going to be winning any PlayStation fans over anytime soon. They needed something special, something genre-defining, and, perhaps even more importantly, something that you could only find on Xbox. The criticality of securing such a title at the time cannot be overstated. The console giants of days past were still reeling from the runaway success Sony was enjoying with its PlayStation brand. Sega, in what would become its last-ditch effort to claw its way out of the hole the Saturn put it in, were doing everything in their power to make the Dreamcast a thing. Spoiler, it did not, in fact, become a thing. Nintendo, on the other hand, had been summarily sniped from their lofty perch with the underperformance of the N64, and, in the Big N's typical Johnny-come-lately fashion, would finally be moving to an optical disc format with its upcoming GameCube. Entering the console market during this period, especially as an outsider, must have looked foolish. Unless, of course, you had a great game. Enter Halo Combat Evolved. True to its eventual subtitle, Halo would go through several different iterations before coalescing into the shooter we all know today. The game would begin life in 1997 as an isometric real-time strategy, or RTS, title for PC and Macintosh under the working title Monkey Nuts, leveraging the engine developer Bungie used for its Myth series. By mid-1998, the development team came to realize that controlling the units and vehicles directly was far more fun than letting the computer do it. So, they pivoted the project to become a third-person shooter. Through some high-level contacts at Apple, Bungie was able to convince Steve Jobs to debut the game as a cross-platform release at the 1999 Macworld Conference and Expo. All seemed well for Bungie and their shiny new sci-fi shooter, but this was not meant to last. 
financial difficulties brought about by a major directory wiping bug in their latest release, Myth 2 Soul Blighter, and the subsequent emergency fix at the developer's own expense, caused Bungie to not only sell publishing rights and a share of the company to Take-Two Interactive, but eventually secure an acquisition by Microsoft's burgeoning games division. Through this, Microsoft gained Bungie and all rights to Halo, while Take-Two would retain possession of the rights to Bungie's other properties, Myth and Oni. Though they managed to dodge a financial bullet with the acquisition, Bungie was now under the gun to turn the loose collection of ideas that was Halo into a flagship launch title for the forthcoming Xbox console in less than a year's time. It was during this period that the game made its final transition into a first-person shooter or FPS. This, of course, presented a completely new problem, implementing a smooth FPS experience with a console gamepad. Designer Jamie Griesemer led the charge, developing code that would intelligently anticipate the player's intended actions and execute them, rather than mirroring the exact inputs from the controller. This logic applied to both character movement and what most gamers would eventually come to know as aim assist. To accomplish the Herculean task of polishing, packaging, and shipping Halo in time for the Xbox's release, the team at Bungie would end up canceling all other projects they had in flight and moving to Microsoft's campus in Redmond, Washington from their home city of Chicago. While the press had their doubts about the game, based on early access and previews leading up to Halo's release in 2001, the finished product could not have received a more favorable reaction. Critical reception was overwhelmingly positive, with the game securing an aggregate score of 97, according to Metacritic, and several Game of the Year awards from notable outlets such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, Edge, and IGN. Halo would go on to sell 5.5 million units on the Xbox, making it the second best-selling game on the console, bested only by its inevitable sequel, Halo 2. Halo's success would spawn a massive franchise that continues to this day, including a number of spin-off titles and an entire expanded universe explored in novels and other media formats. Many still consider it to be one of the finest games ever made. Others still would even argue it was the first game that proved first-person shooters could be done well on a console, possibly even starting the FPS boom that catapulted the genre to the forefront of the gaming consciousness for almost two decades. And that is your brief history of Halo Combat Evolved. That's quite a history. It is. Could you imagine playing as an RTS? I think they did that with like Halo Wars or some shit. Yeah, they eventually circled back around to that. I feel like it was something that was intended to be exclusive for like Microsoft Surface or some shit at one point. If my memory serves me correctly. That's weird. I don't know. I'm sure somebody could fact check me on that. So we, we before we really get into personal experiences. Um, yes. I know, Patrick, you've said you've you've talked to people on Halo 2 and Halo 3. Mm-hmm. What, if, what what can you connect from like the brief history here to what you've talked to them about Halo 2 and Halo 3? What have you like kind of gathered from what they got from Halo? So what I've gathered is that Halo 1 obviously was the foundation um, of making. I mean, think about it. The Xbox even gets its name from like DirectX. It's a PC 
game engine. You know, it's a PC, it's PC gaming brought to the console, you know? So mm-hmm. just getting the game to play like a console game was an incredible challenge. I mean, how many times have you guys played like uh, Morrowind? on the xbox and you're just like this is a fucking pc game like this this still plays like a pc game there's so many games on the xbox that still inexplicably inexplicably feel like pc games you know mm-hmm. halo aim assist oh so sexy um <laughs> i'm telling you i mean it made it was a game that did something that only legendary games do which is cater to both a hardcore player and a casual player and to do it in a genre like the first person shooter genre which is usually catered towards hardcore players i mean mm-hmm. that said something right. super special so from what i gather from frank o'connor he was the writer on halo uh, 3 and he worked on halo 2 towards the middle of the cycle towards the end um they really learned from Halo 2 and Halo 3 how important online and multiplayer gameplay was going to be. And it just set the bar so high. So Halo 1 was kind of, let's make this work as far as like a solid single player uh, game goes. And of course, we're going to have multiplayer in there and stuff like that. But they really wanted to focus on getting like the lore there. But truth be told, I mean, when you think about it, there's really not that much lore there. You know, there's not like the story is kind of like you good, me bad kind of thing. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not yeah. this like in. But then when you think about it, too, it's a relic of the time. I mean, name a first person shooter in that time period that has an exceptional story. They just didn't. So this was like Halo 1 was the they, this was the, the kind of like test. Will players gravitate towards a first person shooter that has a deeper story will they gravitate towards a microsoft console that is heavily featuring a first person shooter so this is the thing um one of the people that i've spoken to a lot um she worked on doom um she worked on wolfenstein she basically ported doom and wolfenstein to like pretty much every console you could think of so like if you played doom or wolfenstein you've played rebecca heineman's version of the game um she broke it down for me and she's like great games have a 10 percent market share meaning if a console like the xbox for instance sells 24 million units which it did um in order for it to be considered a massive hit like a legendary title talking 2.4 million units mm-hmm. halo sold 5 million that's so, nuts oh yeah that's insane yeah. that just no, that, I was, that I was doesn't reading happen about that, that the attach rate for that game was just crazy high it it doesn't happen it just never happens i mean when you think about it um the xbox only has like 25 games that have sold over a million copies which isn't Mm. saying a lot i mean the dreamcast only has like four so (laughs) yeah and they're mostly like sports games and shit you know so the importance of halo was what it did for the first person shooter it was a lot of people's introduction to the first-person shooter, so it made them stay on the console and not gravitate towards the PC. So then that's the thing. They spent all this time trying to make it control well for the console so the people that played it on the PC would feel comfortable. But what they ended up getting was all of these new players that were playing first-person shooters for the first time and playing the Xbox for the first time. So they just married themselves into both the genre and the system, and they became fans 
for life. So the mm. importance of Halo on the Microsoft brand could just never be understated. And, you know, I mean, could you imagine like Unreal on the Xbox without the success of Halo? Could could you imagine? I mean, think of all of the first person shooters out there that have really good stories. You know, game, I mean, Fallout, for instance. Fallout might not have been a first-person shooter if not for the success of Halo. Think about it, you know? Fallout was yeah, never like true. that before, yeah. you know? So it, its importance can never be understated in video game history. Oh, oh for absolutely. Sure. And actually, um, your your commentary about, uh, you know, their intention to bring PC players over to Xbox and it turning out to be a completely different thing functions as a beautiful segue into my personal experience with this mm-hmm. uh, because I was one of those PC players. <laughs> uh, so I had an interesting story with this one because I remember it very vividly. Um, I, I will admit that there are a lot of things from my high school years and, and that I don't necessarily recall with great clarity, but this happens to be one of them. Cocaine's uh, a hell of a drug. It is. It is, man. And let me tell you what. <laughs> Actually, from where I'm from, it was probably more likely meth. But anyway, oh, okay. Uh, so it's all snow. Yeah, I, I had a friend. Uh, his name was uh, Bill. It was one of my very good friends in high school. Um, also, sidebar: super weird to me, even to this day, that someone my age at that time was named Bill still. But I digress. Uh, he invited me over to his place. Uh, actually, me and a couple of our friends. There was three or four of us um, because he let's just say was one of the more affluent kids uh out of don't, the friend group don't hate on and, the affluent kids motherfucker yeah I well listen he hate still didn't get a three console christmas like some people all right yeah, it's go to hell go to yeah. hell yeah you have uh, smugglers in your family like what's going on <laughs> that's how they well they eventually my, my wife bought me two consoles for christmas one year i got a wii u and a ps3 and like i felt like shit for the rest of like the year because there was no way I was going to top that because just I got two and then you got three. Wow. No, I hate no, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I got. Oh, I love that this story just keeps coming up. And Jesus Christ. About it every time. Consoles. I got I got the N64. My sister got the Saturn back when they had like mm-hmm. the three in one Saturn. Hegg was trying to give them away. Please. Oh, buy that was console. great. Yeah. Yeah. With and Daytona. and then my brother got a PlayStation. I didn't even know the PlayStation existed. So it wasn't a three console Christmas. It just ended up, they ended up commandeering all of these consoles for myself at some point because my siblings didn't care. I still think that that's a fantastic name for some kind of indie band, though. Three console Christmas. Christmas. There you go. (gasps) Uh, But at any rate, it was not a three console Christmas, but he did get the OG Xbox. Nice. uh, Before anybody else. And he had Halo and he was like, you guys need to come over and check this out. So we did. And uh, what I distinctly recall was going over to his house and having no idea what an Xbox was, seeing this giant black box with this green circle on the top, and then him handing me the biggest fucking controller I have ever seen in my life. The Duke. (laughs) And uh, saying, all right we'll do some, we're going to do some multiplayer halo. And I'm like, what is it? Yeah. He's like, Oh, it's a, it's a shooter. And so he loads it up and I'm like, Oh, okay. I played a lot of doom and Wolfenstein in my time. I got this. I was wrong because I had no idea how to control a game with a game pad like that. And I got my ass summarily kicked by him over and over again. 
so that was my introduction to Halo and also, well, I won't say it's the introduction to console FPSs because I played a shit ton of GoldenEye back in the day, but for some reason I was very good with that crazy N64 controller, but I could not wrap my head around the dual analog sticks, I guess, at least at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's how I got introduced to it and, um, pretty much actually kind of hated it thanks to that experience. It's not great having somebody invite you over and then just like shit stomp you in multiplayer for like mm-hmm. two hours. So I might be personally biased about that. But, uh, Chris, what about, what about you and like, what, what was your experience with this thing? So I think, I think I got the Xbox sometime around it came out and this isn't like, Oh, my parents got for me. No, my dad made the mistake of giving me a credit card and said, only use it in emergencies. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's an emergency that I get an Xbox and Halo. So I that sounds about right. Could probably imagine he wasn't too happy that I did that. However, mm. I, I did it and I picked it up initially and I played it for a little bit and I didn't like it. I just and I think that's the thing is I'm just not an FPS guy. I try getting mm-hmm. into it. I try playing it. And I put it down. And that's really my my personal experience with it. But, you know, over the years, you, you have friends, a lot of friends that play Halo, too. So I think that's more of my introduction like halo is you know playing multiplayer at my friends and you know the red versus blue on you know the internets uh yes the machinima of course i don't remember them anymore i haven't watched that crap in a long long time but that that's kind of my, my introduction to halos i got it around the time it came out because i bought into the hype there was so much hype that this is the game that you need to play if you are a console gamer and i got it i'm like all right, I'm going to go back to playing fucking Final Fantasy X. That was, I mean, I was into survival horror and RPGs. It just wasn't my jam. But I, no, you know, I mean, you know, that's fair. That That's fair. I mean, outside of my own one personal experience, I then basically completely detached from the game. And the only thing that I experienced even like tangentially was uh, a bunch of people in my college freshman dorm room running cables through the hallways to to play multiplayer together on their xboxes and playing a bunch of halo that that was that was pretty much it couch co-op still best couch co-op is still best Mm -hmm. that's true but yeah yeah put it down and it was hard because i don't like playing games on i mean it's hard for me back then it's and we'll get more into probably the gameplay a little bit later but it's very hard for me back then because i don't like playing games on easy because my pride is stupid so i always play things on normal and i just (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't make it very far. And I was like, fuck this game and moved on to other things. But I have, you know, I played well, it for this episode and I found out it wasn't it wasn't everything I I really put it down for. Well, and so I think especially being, you know, a, an RPG fan such as yourself and I am in a similar way, although I think more Western RPG, less JRPG. But the point still stands is that I think one of the things that we both appreciate about you know, those types of games is the story. I think that's what tends to bring us back to it. And, um, as Patrick kind of pointed out, you know, he was talking about his, uh, discussion with, uh, some of the folks that were involved in, you know, the subsequent games. The first one was very much a foundational game and it established some of the lore, I think for Mm -hmm. the eventual extended universe, Mm -hmm. but, by and large, at least from my personal experience, I just felt like the plot for Halo itself was just very 
threadbare and incredibly generic. Well, and I know that's not glowing, but that's just kind of how I felt about it. I don't know, Chris, what were your what were your thoughts on kind of the plot and writing that we kind of see presented in in this game? So so just the thing is, is like when it starts you off, it it has this expectation that, you know, what's going on in the world. I haven't gotten around mm. to read the manual. I'm not sure what the backstory is in the manual, but I know there was a novel that came out before the game released to try to establish the world of, you know, Halo and everything that was going on. The weird thing is that the game kind of expects you to know these things. And I don't know why the game expects you to know these things. But when you boil it down because they have a bunch of, you know, just gibberish that they're throwing at you about the Covenant and they're in space and uh, they're waking up Master Chief and uh, he's got to go save the save the whatever and you're getting attacked. But it's it's weird when it starts out like this. And it's kind of like, well, why do I care about any of this shit? And it's like, well, they're bad. Kill them. Uh, OK. And that's kind of the plot through the entire thing is here's bad guy A. And bad guy A is bad. But then we have bad guy B. And bad guy, bad guy B is bad, too. They're worse than bad guy A, but the, they're He's, both still they're bad. They're they're both bad. And you both got you got to kill both of them. And I'm just thinking the entire time, like, why do I care? What is going on? Why? Like, because I don't really know the plot of Halo 2 and Halo 3, because, of course, I, I just never had. I played the multiplayer. I didn't play the campaigns. So when I'm looking at this plot, it's. It's asking a lot of the player to get invested into the lore, but it's not giving any reasons for the player to get invested to the lore. So all you're doing is you're just just kind of moving from point A to point B because the game is telling you to rather than you actually giving a shit about what's going on with the plot. Yeah, I found myself as I was playing through the campaign um, kind of almost the the auditory equivalent of my eyes glazing over every time I got more exposition dump, mostly from Cortana. Yeah. Just because you're right in that I, I, I kind of had a hard time bringing myself to really care about how the story was progressing because it just didn't, I don't know. I had a hard time, I guess, connecting with it. It, it was just very, you know, kind of, bog standard sort of sci-fi like these are aliens and they are the ones what to do the bad things and we should probably shoot them <laughs> and then also these guys are even worse so i guess let's take care of that also the flood um kill them all right exactly but and and you could make the argument and i know that somewhere in a comment section or something or in our discord because some of our folks are that kind of asshole who will totally bring this up <laughs> that you don't necessarily need you know a very deep plot or anything for an fps i mean because hell again you go back to something like doom it, it's you're a space marine there's demons go do the thing right and my argument for that is, yes, you're right. You don't necessarily need it. But I feel like the reason that that game and other games of that ilk stand on their own without an engaging plot to keep you invested is that they are leaning incredibly heavily on their gameplay to keep you hooked. And from my perspective... I did not feel like Halo's gameplay was engaging enough to keep me that interested. But again, that no. might be, I mean, again, that might be coming back to something after the fact, right? Because let's be honest, we've all been spoiled by the things that Halo itself 
helped to inspire. So of course there's going to be iterative right. progress, right? Plus, if you want to go a story route, you had Half-Life, and I, I felt like they fell short of what Half-Life did in 98, and this is three years after the fact. So if they really wanted to have a good narrative, they they had – you could tell they played it. Look at the design. They have, like, the mine crabs and all that shit. I don't know if that was in the original Half-Life or not, but you can tell the people at Bungie played fucking Half-Life. They sure. definitely played it. Yeah, if you're a game developer at that time and you haven't played Half-Life, then you should just – like just not work in the industry especially for an um, fps yeah but then i think to comparing any story from a first person shooter to half-life from like 98 to like 2003 just like it's not it's not fair (laughs) it's not fair except for i mean the only thing that comes like even close or even succeeds like you know does better is you know deus ex you know so ah yes you know system shock 2 as well yeah, and System Shock, you know, but like, mm-hmm. um, considering we talked about this before, um, console first person shooters in terms of story, yeah, very Halo, low bar, very low bar. Halo set set the standard, and we might consider that standard to be like incredibly low now. But I mean, the original intention for Halo, Halo's story, I mean, we can see it in the beginning what they're trying to do but they really can't achieve it until halo 3 so right again um and in in terms of like being a tech demo i mean nintendo is a master of giving somebody a tech demo like just like some pile of dog shit and then like rubbing like princess peaches like bow on it and selling it for fifty dollars you know so it's just like this is something that's gone on since like the beginning of video game history oh yeah i mean absolutely halo is kind of like look at what i can do i can't do it that great yet but look at what i can do and in terms of like have you guys ever seen the first screenshot of halo yes it was at the one with the uh, the spartan and the rifle and i think uh, a very early warthog mm-hmm. yeah and it, was, it was just like wait there's gonna be like that sort of like cool shit in this like that's that's what this was this was this was basically like if you ever watched a tv show home improvement this was oh, like yeah. T- Tim the Toolman Taylor. Like every time you played Halo, it was like, ah, 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 ah. you know, it was just like more power. Like th- the way the game ran for the time, I mean, it was a thoroughbred, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, using, I mean, I, you talked about this before, using both analog sticks at the same time. I mean, it could be disorienting for a lot of people, but like for me, I was just like, oh my God, this is the way, this is the way a first person shooter is supposed to play. I fucking hate using the keyboard, you know, and the mouse. Like, this is like. I, oh. I strongly disagree with the sentiment. I, yeah, I, I per- <laughs> highly go prefer WASD mouse. See, the thing is, too, I, I grew up, I didn't get three, you know, consoles okay, for okay. Christmas. Fine, so, uh, fine, fine. So, like, I didn't, I, I remember playing, like, one of the yes. first, first person shooters I ever played was, like, that fucking Chex first person shooter that oh, just hell yeah. with, with with American Online, like, 4.0 or some shit. And I was just like, how is this a video game? Like, I hated playing games on the PC with the keyboard. I hated it. So, it's just like, yeah, being able to experience like a first person shooter with a controller like that, I mean, it was really, it was cool for me. So, using that as a segue into like the larger kind of discussion around just the gameplay elements of Halo, I think one of the things, because I feel like Chris and I have been kind of harsh on the game, but I wanted to point out that there were definitely some standout things that I noticed even to this day going back and playing it now that I think 
deserve at least a mention. And that is uh, the AI routines that were, Mm -hmm. you know, put into the game for the enemies. I think it may not necessarily have been the first, but it was definitely one of the first that at least comes to mind for me uh, that, you know, implemented something like this where your enemies were actually smart enough to take cover and attempt to flank you and actually use strategy, which for the record is annoying as shit, but like (laughs) also kind of impressive. Well, that's kind of what you want too. So the other thing is too, is that you have the flood and the flood doesn't Mm -hmm. use strategy. So the flood just rushes you, but that's, do they flood? They flood you with stuff, Mm. but that kind of keeps them like, they're not supposed to be presented as, as like really thoughtful beings. They're not a thoughtful species. They're just mindless, parasitic Koopa Troopas, you know, exactly. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to take over whatever they can. So they're mindless. So that's why you don't see them like trying to flank you or trying to do it. They just run towards you. So that's that's an interesting thing about the AI as well, whereas the Covenant tries to be a little bit more intelligent about how they attack you and how they take care of you. The Flood just rushes you. They just bum rush you or zerg rush you, uh, as the term eventually became. And the AI is really good for the time. I, and again, I didn't play a lot of FPSs back then, but what you got from Doom and GoldenEye is you see bad guy, bad guy just runs to you and shoots and you just got to be, have some Twitch mechanics in order to counter react that. Right. And I also will point out as another positive, I really actually enjoyed the sort of hot swapping mechanic for weapons. I Mm -hmm. thought that was really cool because that was also something that hadn't been done very much up until that point. The, the driving thrust behind keeping yourself armed through most of the levels was not necessarily picking up, ammo replenishments but it was more grabbing you know a plasma rifle or whatever that one of the covenant dropped and just picking up with that and rolling with it and so i thought that was that was cool i actually really enjoyed that piece yeah i did as well patrick anything no i mean you guys really kind of nailed it and i'll just reinforce what i said before it it did a great job of bringing in new players to the first person shooter genre while doing enough cool things to get veteran players to come in. Like I said, th- that duality between mm-hmm. the, f- the Flood and the Covenant, it definitely spiced up gameplay. And honestly, like as, as far as shooting on like the Xbox or the Xbox 360, I mean, for me, it was some of the most gratifying attacking that I've done on like the Xbox, like shooting people felt good. It, it felt feels intuitive. good. Yes. You know, um, I will go on a limb and say that the original gears of war is probably my favorite like shooter in terms of like how I felt when I took people out. But like for its time, halo was up there. Halo was, um, halo was definitely intuitive. The auto, the auto assist aiming and just the way your character moved. It felt, it felt smooth and it felt fresh. And I mean, again, being a launch title that says a lot i mean to have a launch title be one of like the top five games on your system i mean that says a lot so and i think halo is one of the top five games on the xbox still to this day two things that pissed me off about it though two things Mm -hmm. first thing is that you have a a lot of empty environments just Mm -hmm. a lot of just there's a lot of emptiness there's a lot of dead time and they 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 make it a point to like hey say here's your location early on and like oh okay so the game's kind of going to give me a goal of where I'm going to where I need to go and then they just completely Marker, take it away 100 meters you. away yeah but then they they take it away from you they don't show it to you anymore like okay that's there's weird. just you know what I think it is it's just there's only so much that they, that they can do I mean think about it another example I, I get Turok, it. the dinosaur hunter how many fucking dinosaurs are there in that game not many 
No. You know? <laughs> so it's just like there's a disappointing amount of dinosaurs but, in this dinosaur. But that's not but that's but that's not really what I'm saying is like I understand as a product of the time. I, I'm getting that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm saying like playing it now in, in current year. There's mm-hmm. just uh, there's just so many like I'm glad it evolved past it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But going back and playing it now, there's a lot of dead time. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of boredom. And it's oh, sure. it, that's painful. Sure. It's so mm-hmm. painful. The other one is outside of the outside of the ghost, I couldn't stand controlling vehicles. They were a massive pain in the ass. Really? I hate it. Okay. So okay, hold on. But before before we get to that part, let me yeah. let me talk just real quick on your on your first point. And that is that while I do agree with you that I think that there were some sections of the game that probably could be shortened down a little bit because it was just a lot of traveling for ostensibly no reason. I think that based on what we kind of learned about the history of this game, I think that that was an unfortunate side effect of a lot of the content cutting they had to do mm-hmm. in order to get this thing out the door on time. Because if if there's nothing else that kind of identifies Halo, uh, it would probably be lofty goals and missed opportunities. And that's because when they first pitched this thing, I mean, outside of not being an FPS, it was a third person over the shoulder shooter, but they pitched this thing. And actually it was in the same article from that picture that Patrick was talking about, um, where they were also talking about, Hey, you know, Halo is going to be this open world. It's going to have its own fauna, uh, that exist and live on the planet and there's going to be changing weather and they had all these things they wanted to do with it and then you know their little snafu with myth 2 came about and screwed them to the tune of about eight hundred thousand dollars to fix that bug uh and so they had to find somebody to basically bail them out and that's where they ended up with microsoft and suddenly they had a very you know truncated timeline to get this thing out the door less than a year so if i had to make an argument right right so if i had to make an argument for it you know i guess in its defense i would say that it's probably a victim of those particular circumstances and they learned and they got better but it oh, is, yeah, it is I there. Mean, yeah halo 2 they raised the bar so high for halo 2 and they were in constant crunch mode for that entire game like mm-hmm. you would have thought that they would have learned from that but i mean some teams work their best when they're under tremendous amounts of pressure and that's exactly how bungie works if their back isn't up against the wall then and halo 2 and halo 3 backs definitely up against the wall and that's why those two games are probably the two best games in the series okay so what you're saying is i need to keep master chief collection installed so that i can go and and play two and three okay mm-hmm. you, should, you should play Good. two because everyone loves two. everyone says yeah. two is the best <laughs> absolutely all right so patrick i have a question for you sure all right so because you were you were kind of there you you were the one that was kind of saying that this is something that's probably one of your your top xbox games right talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the overall graphical presentation of this game specifically in the lighting or lack thereof (sighs) certain parts of the game i can't see shit (laughs) okay so we're on the same page i think we're all there (laughs) like um, okay there are certain parts in the game where i'm just like i don't do drugs I've never done drugs <laughs> my entire life. I am completely like CM Punk, straight edge. And I'm just like, 
did they really like do this like this? It's like um there's definitely times when like I was screwing around with like the settings on my TV just mm-hmm. for Halo. You yeah. know, well no, that's not necessarily true. There's some parts in Morrowind too that are like incredibly muddy, like te- muddy mm-hmm. textures yeah. and shit like that. So again, sign of sign of the times. But at the time, it was awesome. It was awesome. You know, um, now we can totally look back and be like, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> there are definitely some growing pains visually in like tight corners and some corridors and things like that in, in Halo. There are even some, some more like wide open scenes where you're kind of like, what's the visibility like here? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then people like kind of come out of nowhere and you're like, is this, this a survival horror game or is this like a first, you know, like, is this like Dead Space, like five years before like Dead Space was thought of? Like, what's going on here? Well, it seems like, yeah, I just, I really wish that, you know, Master Chief had a headlamp or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They, he does. So in the beginning, they're like, hey, use this flashlight mechanic, like it's fucking Doom 3 or something. And <laughs> like, they almost instantly forget about it. It was only yeah. present like the first two levels that you have to use the flashlight, and then Shit, the rest I of the totally game. I totally forgot that even existed. You're right, my god. Yeah, you have a, you have a flashlight. Nobody uses it. No, you know? no one does. And it's I like think the reason the is, you know, it's because candle. no one uses just in it. <laughs> yeah. In general, the game is so fucking dark. I had to adjust the gamma on my TV, not the brightness, not the contrast. The gamma, manually going to the gamma for my TV to order to see shit in this. By the time I got done with the gamma, I didn't have to use the fucking flashlight. Oh, it, it, my God. <laughs> well, see, and the thing is, playing this playing this on PC, I, I was playing the Steam version, as I mentioned, the Master Chief Collection. And the cool thing they did with that is the tab key on your keyboard just hot swaps between the old and the new graphics, mm-hmm. um, which is great. So much better, because yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the remaster is is awesome. The the graphics are great, and they definitely learned their lesson where they're just like, hey, maybe we need to brighten this shit up a little bit. And so that's great. There's way more color involved, like, you know, all the fancy shit. Um, but what it does also is just throws that into very stark contrast when you, like, hit tab and swap back in, like, especially one of those, like, outdoor jungle areas that you go mm-hmm. through. Where with the remaster, it's just like, look at all this like ambient green lighting because you're in a jungle and yeah, don't ask where case. that's coming from. It's fine. And it looks then more you like swap a swap back in Halo. In yeah. The and then Halo. you swap back and you're just like, oh, um, this is like pitch black. And I think there's maybe a plant there. I don't know. I can't tell. So let's move on to how the music and sound design was. And I, I know I, I, when I wrote in the notes, I hadn't made it as far. I would have to say when the music is there, it feels really epic. It feels mm-hmm. pulsating. Yeah. It feels pounding. Absolutely. Like, yes, absolutely. And I, I also I actually do like the voice acting. I know Shane says he does not. But the thing I, is, is. OK, OK. <laughs> I didn't say I completely dislike it. OK. But the thing is, is that the music just why isn't there something just a little bit more present throughout the game? It becomes more noticeable when you're trying to wander around and go through all the environments that look very similar. And I, I, I got lost. And it's just like, I wish there was something more here than nothing. It, 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 it got to the point where the silence was more irritating than necessary. And that's my only really complaint with the sound, because other than that, everything else is fine. Weapons sound fantastic. Mm-hmm. Voice acting for 2001 is very good. Absolutely. So... I was like, why is it so quiet? It, 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 it's fantastic when it's not quiet. 
Well, okay. This goes back to, I think, at least two episodes now that we've covered this exact same topic where we talk about the use of silence, right, in in games. And I won't say that in every case in Halo, the silence was used purposefully because I don't believe that it was. But I will still argue for the value of having silence because it gives you that contrast for when something is meant to be exhilarating and at least does that um and to to the point where actually it it caught me off guard a few times because playing with you know over the ear headphones and then all of a sudden this like you know banging butt rock track starts kicking in and i'm just like oh shit what's going on and you know so so i think it did its job um i will agree that i think maybe it could have used maybe just a little bit more ambient you know music in the background but i will agree that what is there is really great and anybody from that time period who played halo at all probably has that theme song stuck in their head forever because it is just it's iconic it's so in its simplicity it's so good it's, it's it's just real great it's like when you think about it like all great soundtracks are incredibly simple and they get mm-hmm. stuck in your head like right away it's just like i was walking with my daughter today we were walking to the post office i was mailing some books and um she goes to me play mando so she's like <laughs> i just put on the mandalorian theme as we're walking we felt so i felt so badass i'm like walking with a three-year-old <laughs> yeah. you know and it's just like when you look at that score it's so simple but it's so beautiful at the same time. And then like when you really focus, there's like layers, you know, and I feel like the halo theme has the same thing going on. And you said before the voice acting, the voice acting is definitely underrated. Um, But what I will say about the silence. So this is one of the problems when you work in crunch and you don't get enough time to finish a game. So like quick example, Howard Scott Warshaw does E.T., in five weeks and speaking to howard about it he basically told me he was working 20 hours a day for five weeks i mean that just that kills you you know yeah um about three years later i spoke to robbie fullop who did missile command on the atari 2600 which is considered like one of the greatest ports of an arcade game of all time and he had done space invaders before for like the atari 8-bit and it was like considered one of the worst ports Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what was the difference between the two? And he was just like, time definitely played a, a big role. He goes, but he goes for the Space Invaders game. I just locked myself up in the room and I just finished it. I didn't care what anybody said. I just did my job and that, you know, that was it. He goes, but for Missile Command, he goes, Howard was down the hole and he was locked in a black room for 20 hours a day and didn't speak to anybody, didn't interact with anybody, was solely focused on his game. He goes, what I did was, he goes, I would develop for a couple hours and he goes, I would open my door and I would have somebody come in and tell me what they liked, what they didn't like. And he goes, I really learned a lot from the other people that were there. And that's what made Missile Command on the Atari 2600 so good because he had the time to do that. Mm -hmm. When you have other people that aren't on your team playing the game and voicing their honest opinion and they want your game to be a success because you work for the same company, you're able to fix a lot of those little things. Or sometimes you may see something that nobody else sees. These guys, I mean, we we discussed it. I mean, they had really like less than a year to take a, a, a strategy game that went from strategy to a third person shooter to, to a first person shooter. I mean, that's, and, and then on new hardware that they don't have any reference point for, 
Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's so easy to look at somebody else's work and be like, all right, so we want to make a game that's kind of like this, but is really like this with our twist on it. For Halo, it's just kind of like, yeah, we're making this first person. They, they were creating something from scratch. That's always the hardest. Like, imagine the first person that said, oh, you know what? This, like, little white thing that just came out of this chicken's ass, I'm going to make this into something. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's kind of like what Halo was. Yeah, we're going to make a first person shooter, but on this hardware that nobody really knows what it's capable of and we're going to add a plot and we're going to add this and that and it's just so many things could have gone wrong and a lot of things did go wrong but for the most part i mean so many things went right oh yeah yeah for sure and again like you know like we said time was really the the determining factor for a lot of what ended up happening mm-hmm. uh, with with this game and, and actually quick fun little tidbit about that that I, I happened to learn today actually talking about the sound design and everything part of and you'd probably never know this necessarily if you didn't find this out somehow playing the game you'd never see it but one of the time-saving things that they kind of did with it too is uh, the covenant voice lines, and I do that in air quotes for this audio-only format. I love it. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was actually just reversed voice segments from um, I think it was the, the sergeant. commander, sergeant, sergeant. The big, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and they 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 slowed it down by I think twenty-five percent, and then reversed it, and that's what they used because they just needed to reuse the assets that they had you know, at the time. So you didn't like again, the, a perfect example of like working with, you know, the things that you had at hand. Yeah. You didn't like the little guys running around. It's a, 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 why not? Like you didn't like, Oh no, they're going to okay. kill me. I loved it. Don't it great. listen. All right. <laughs> loved it. You want to get me off on a tangent about this? Because why the That's fuck do you. they know English? You got to edit Chris? it. Why do they know English, Chris? Because they're sentient beings and they're very good at learning and they want you to understand. You don't want them to kill you. They're trying to get your sympathy. Listen, man, Please it was don't like kill cute. Me. It was cute the first time I heard it. And then after that, I was like, these guys are annoying. And also, why are they speaking in English? I want some extended universe explanation that there's uh-huh. just some like universal translator built into Master Chief's helmet. Are you the guy then, who complains at Warcraft 2 when the orcs know English? So what is Master Chief like the dog from Up? And maybe. Well, he, he is now in my headcanon at least. <laughs> maybe Master Chief has a fucking babblefish in his ear, okay? Yeah, sure. You know what? That would be a perfectly acceptable explanation. I just want something. That's well, if they don't have to tell you, he has a fucking babblefish. It's just installed <laughs> in his hardware. The babblefish is there. He can understand what these little weird thing creatures are saying. Oh, no, he's going to kill us. Okay, there it is. There it is. Babblefish. Babblefish confirmed. I made the lore. Great. All right. Well, on that note, I suppose we should step to the last portion of our discussion, which is... Our, our brief summation of whether we feel like this game holds up today or not. And Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot first because Hooray. I want to end things with Patrick. Listen, before I say this, I want everyone to understand I'm not a big first person shooter fan. So before you crucify me, understand that sure. it's not going to change my opinion. So look, I'm not supposed to be bored during a first person shooter. I'm just not supposed to be bored during a first person shooter. There were many parts during Halo. I was just bored. I was just not having a good time. And I was just like, please let me just get to the next level. Levels are too long. They feel like they drag out. There doesn't really seem to be a lot going on when there should be things going on. It, it The difficulty just spikes at the near the end of the game without any real reason. 
And those are big problems that I really do have with the game. I don't think it holds up in terms of how, you know, time has not been kind to it. But I will say this. I would rather play Halo than Goldeneye. I would you do that. A bitch. I would do that, that in a back. heartbeat. No, I'm not taking it back. I would play right, Halo over Goldeneye in a second. And you know I'm right. <laughs> and you know it's true because the dual analog stick works. I know it's not the first one to do it because that was Alien Trilogy. Uh, on consoles as far as i'm aware and it got all right that's it we're gonna settle this (laughs) facility no odd jobs slappers only let's go do i do i get an extra analog stick oh wait i can't so no it's not happening so in that sense look if you want to see where the modern first person shooter really came from you go with halo it built the modern first-person shooter on a console it defined an entire generation of console first-person shooters and in that sense, yes, you got to go play it and see where it started. On the other hand, it's fucking 19 years old and it shows it. And it's it's actually competent. it's 20 years old. Yeah, it is 20 years old. God. This year. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it, it shows its age. It shows its age. And Halo 2 and Halo 3 are probably much better. I know Halo 2 can, plays a lot better just by playing it back in the day. So, look, if you're interested in history lesson, at least go with the anniversary collection that's on Steam or any of the other, like I think 360 has one and Xbox One has one. Go there, play it there. You'll be a lot happier than what you're going to get with the original on an Xbox or uh, with backwards uh, compatibility with an Xbox 360. All right. How about, All right. How about you? Yeah, Um. so I guess I'll echo most of those same sentiments. Um, it's it's tough going back to it. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be real. We, we've had just about two decades of advancements since then. And even as someone who's not necessarily a huge FPS player, because I'm, I'm not really outside of a, you know, a couple of old ones, it's just, it was rough to go back to and play just because of the things that Chris kind of pointed out. It, is it playable? Yes, absolutely. Does it look 10,000 times better in, you know, the anniversary collection or the Master Chief collection, however you pick it up, you know, with the remaster, for sure. And I, if you're gonna experience this game, I would absolutely recommend experiencing it that way. However, I am going to say something slightly different, which is I am of the opinion that you can 100% appreciate Halo for everything that it did for not only gaming as a whole, but FPSs specifically and console FPSs even more specifically, you can appreciate that from afar. You, you, you don't necessarily have to go back and play the campaign because as Chris mentioned, I, I have to say the same thing that even uh, at the eight and a half hours that it took me to play the entirety of the campaign, it felt like it overstayed its welcome. And I think it's because some pieces really could have been tightened up. There were some parts where I felt like it just dragged on too long, or I was just going down one too many hallways and just shooting guys over and over again. And it just kind of got old and, you know, but like I said, we we've had a lot since then. Um, if you really want to have a good halo experience or go back and see, you know, where this stuff came from, I'd probably just say, just start with Halo 2. <laughs> I mean, catch up on the very brief lore background if you need to from the first game and then just jump right into 2. That 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 would probably be my recommendation. I don't know. Patrick, what about you, man? What do you think? 
Um, as as a historian, I feel like um, you got to play, you got to play it with all its warts. You've got to fair. You've, yeah, you've got to go. You've got to go back. You've got to kind of see what they were trying to do. But then at the same time, too, um, remastered editions are special because remastered editions are kind of like you saying, you know what? If I actually had my driver's license when I was 18, I would have I would have went out with that girl, or I would have did this, I would have did that, you know. <laughs> so it's just like when you look at a remastered version of a game, you can learn so much more about what they were originally trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you've got to play both. Um, obviously, the remastered version is better, but again, it's so easy because a lot of people look at a lot of retro games with you know rose-colored glasses. And I'm so happy that I, you know, that I spent the last you know hour and change with you guys. That you guys don't drink the Kool Aid, and you <laughs> you see this game for like what it is, which is is something that's not perfect, but it's something that was very unique for the time. And um, you know, it's the beginning of the industry establishing the first person shooter as a viable genre on the console market because anyone that's played a first person shooter on PC knows how influential they are i mean before doom what the fuck were people playing on PC you know like yeah. they were playing like where in the world is carmen san diego and like oregon trail <laughs> and like you know and 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 point and click adventures which i mean i love point and click games you know gabriel knight and all those oh, games yeah. like that and broken sword but these weren't games that like those were games that like you had to be smart to play. You had to be smart to play a point and click game. You had to have patience, you know. Um, first person shooters, you had to be smart. You had to have patience, but you also had to have like that mean side. It was like perfect for a teenager or a college student or a pissed off husband <laughs> that didn't get laid the night before, like yes. a video a video game player, you know. So for that to like transfer from the PC to a format like a console where more people could play it and more people could experience it, that should never be lost. That Halo played a huge part in that. So, yeah, hundred well percent. All right. So I think that brings us to the the very end of this episode. So before we officially wrap things up, hey, Patrick, man, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. You dropped like a ton of knowledge bombs. Thank you. Throughout. Yeah, throughout sure. this throughout this pod, man. And I was just listening to you through some of this. I was like, man, this shit's so fucking cool, man. I'm so happy you joined us. Thank you. And provided some background. So please, please, please let the people know where they can find you, where they can buy your books and whatever you want to put out there uh, for sure. people to get to you on the Internet. Awesome. So um, so the books are available wherever fine books are sold digitally. Um, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, Indigo, Books A Million, Thrift Books, like wherever you can buy a book online, you can get my my book. However, the best place to buy the book is com. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to get an email that you bought the book and I'm going to interact with you. I'm going to email you and ask you like some of your favorite games and stuff. And I'm going to I'm going to sign your book for you. I'm going to write something nice inside your book. I'm going to sneak goodies into your book um, because I want to build a relationship with you. I want you to follow me on Instagram at Patrick Hickey Jr. I want to know like I want to know like why you play games. You know, like I want to have that type of relationship with you. 
because that's what video games are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring people together. It's supposed to be an exchanging of knowledge. Like you learn, to, for me at least, you learn so much about somebody when you find out what what kind of games they like, you know. And it's just like we're in a time, a time period that just really sucks ass. Like mm-hmm. people just like, oh, you're a Democrat, don't want to talk to you. Oh, you're a Republican, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, you're not getting the vaccine. I don't want to talk to you. I've never gotten into a conversation with somebody where it was like, oh, you play Pokemon? I don't want to talk to you. It'll be like, oh, you play Pokemon? Wow, you're a loser. But what else do you play? You know, like (laughs) gamers have this different mentality with each other where they're just accepting and they want to get to know each other. So just like my books are about the developers that made these games, but they're also about the, the people that made these games. Like one of the stories in the books, in the Genesis book, is from from Dave Perry, who is a programmer for the for uh, the Aladdin on the Sega Genesis, and he just talks about how that cycle was so short, and that he slept in his car for most of it. That sucks. But mm. Dave Perry is six foot eight, so it's just like when you think about it, like you got an NBA player sleeping in a little shitty car, trying to like make a living. You know, so just like my game, my books are about the games and how they affected society, how they affected the industry, but how the people that made them played a role and how those games influenced their lives, too. So it's about it's about all of those things, bringing people together. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. And as for us, uh, if you are listening to this show, then that means you found us. So congratulations and welcome. Hi, how are you? nice that you're here. But if you'd like to engage with us more, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Our particular favorite outside of Instagram, much like Patrick, is you can hop into our public Discord and chat with uh, the other folks there, including our lovely, lovely patrons. And uh, you can do that by going over to bit.ly slash RHP chat. That will give you an invite into the arcade floor and uh, you can come in and say hey. And speaking of the patrons, if you happen to, for some crazy reason, like what we do enough to show your support in that kind of fashion, we would, of course, be eternally grateful. And you can do that by heading to bit.ly slash rh patron depending on which tier you choose you can get a whole bevy of awesome extra stuff like bonus audio content that we release every other week out to an exclusive rss feed as well as some other cool swag so uh feel free to check that out and uh and one more thing we do have our merch store that's at bit.ly slash rhp merch you can pick yourself up a, a pretty nifty uh beer stein or t-shirt or a bumper sticker whatever you like give them to as gifts to your friends surprise your grandmother i don't know whatever you want to do with it uh chris you got anything you want to say before we uh shut this thing down you can also find me on instagram at at zodiac x o d y a k a lot of the stuff i post there also mirrors on the retro hangover podcast site so reach out to me uh I, I, I like I prefer my main site to engage in, but I'll engage you on both sides. So wherever you want to go to follow both. Have a good time. By the way, on twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can join us for our Sunday streams, typically at 9 p.m. Eastern time on the aforementioned site. And we'll be streaming stuff. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. If it's not 9 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be somewhere around there. You know, computers break down, hard drives crash like mine just recently did. But I I got it back up, and now it's even better than before. So we'll we'll be there if you're there. There you go. We'll be All there right. if you're there. There it is. 
Also, shout outs to the Region Free Gamers podcast and uh, Grand Rapidians podcast and Secret Levels podcast because they give us shout outs on their show. It's only right to do the same. And they are awesome. Absolutely. Yes. They are awesome. All right. And with all of that being said, until next time, play with your Master Chief large joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.